Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Martial arts, mixed martial arts. How do we like a martial arts? We like it mixed, yeah. Hype. So we like to hear because the UFC is back on pay per view. They are back in the Garden State for UFC 288, which goes down tomorrow at the Crew in Newark, New Jersey. The bantamweight title is on the line between the current champ looking to further cement his legacy and a returning former two-division champion looking to reclaim a title he never lost in an actual fight. That will be the second of two high-stakes five-round matchups, and we're going to talk about that and much more. So welcome you to the UFC 288 Preview Show. We are live here on the MAFighting.com YouTube channel. I am Mike Keck. We have the great Jose Youngs joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, along with my best friend, Alexander K. Lee, live in the Great White North. Thumbs are up everywhere, and that's what we like to see. So, gentlemen, we are a day away from this card. There's a thumbs down from Jose. And, Jose, I want to start with you because I feel like this card, this main event between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo, it's been growing on people. More so for the questions and the intrigue surrounding it. The majority on the Cejudo side, which we're going to talk about due to the long layoff and other things. But to me, the initial first taste wasn't great. But over time and throughout this week, even with the cringiness of the press conference and other things, it's been evolving to something a little bit more. How would you gauge your your hype level a little over 24 hours away from the card, the main event, etc.? I mean, the card, I feel like the card has... What's the how would I phrase this? There's been a lot of sneaky fights that I don't think people realized were happening. Like I, when I was I was like scrolling social media during the official weigh-ins and like Marine Rodriguez stepped on the scale and they're like, oh, Marine Rodriguez is fighting. Oh, Phil Hawes is fighting. Uh, oh, Drew like Drew Dober and Matt Favola are fighting. So I feel like a lot of and rightfully so the narrative has been surrounding the main event because it's for the bantamweight uh, title, Henry Cejudo's return, and then the co-main event obviously came together like within the last few weeks. Gilbert Burns' third pay-per-view fight of 2023 and it's only may blah muhammad obviously a lot of people think deserves the title shot and now he's taking the short fight notice to prove the haters wrong so i feel like obviously a lot of the attention is in the top two fights but then there's been a lot of sneaky good fights like jessica andrade and yan jiao nan is very well could be a number one contender fight for uh, Zhang Wei Li and Crone Gracie's return after four year layoff. Charles Jordan has literally never been in a boring fight in his life. Mazvar Evalov, who a lot of people I think forgot about because he's obviously injuries have kind of uh, sat like taking him away 
taken him away from us in his undefeated record. And obviously, if Bryce Mitchell was on the card, then it, still fighting him, then it would be like hyper interesting. But there's a lot of very fun fights and a lot of very fun fighters that I don't think people were aware were on this card because of all the attention of the top two fights. So I think it will it will sneak up on a lot of people. And I think the last. You know, the last few fight nights haven't been the best in terms of star power. Obviously, the main events, the last few fight nights have been very fun. But outside of that, it's been a lot of like, why is this fight happening on a co-main event or on the main card type situation? And I think after a while, fight fans just they want another fun card. And this is a sneaky fun card. Not I don't think it's going to break pay-per-view records, but we should have fun from the first fight to the end fight, which is the most important thing. Yeah, this kind of has the, I'm probably not going to buy it, but I could regret it the next day if I didn't sort of vibes to it. So, AK, where's your hype levels at? And, and where are you at with the UFC 288 gymnastics scale? Let's go 9.2 for the degree of difficulty for this card. Uh, that's, again, I usually say pay-per-view start at a 9, um, a UFC pay-per-view that is. It'd have to be a pretty like deplorable um you know uh cancellation stricken card for it to fall be- below nine and like jose said there, there is potential for excitement here even though um maybe it's not loaded with name power we're only getting you know the one title fight uh it's one that wasn't really asked for uh you know if you're talking about like who did people want for aljamain sterling you know after he beat uh tj dillashaw um but uh, but i think like a lot of us we've sort of talked our way into it mike you and i have always been sort of against Henry Cejudo getting this title shot. Obviously, if the fight happens, it's a it's an intriguing fight. Henry Cejudo, Henry Cejudo is one of the best, you know, bantamweights slash flyweights, you know, lighter weight class fighters of all time. He's amazingly accomplished. He just didn't have the longevity. But like as far as watching him fight, we we all have a lot of respect for him. It's just given the state of the division, it felt like there was a lot of um a lot of other worthy challengers. And this goes back to the Dillashaw fight too. We didn't we didn't love that title fight either. So I don't know. Maybe maybe after Sterling. Uh, and so after this business is settled, we can get back to normalcy, but we'll talk more about that fight. But the card overall, yeah, really, really good. Um, I'll run a poll in a second about uh, what maybe I'll ask what is the most highly anticipated fight outside of the top two, maybe outside of the top, maybe I even have to go outside the main card because there are some sleepers and it, it could really hit that 9.2 score if they have some of the luck they had with the like they had with debuting fighters last weekend uh, because I think. Ikram Eliskerov, Braxton Smith, Rolando Badaya, all these guys could impress. Diego Lopez in a bit of a tough situation. But um, other than that, yeah, I think you have a nice top two, uh, top three, I would say, and then um, some intriguing things. How can you not be curious how Crown Gracie looks after uh, a layoff of 1,300 days? So there's, there's potential here for this to be to be memorable. So let's let's dive into this main event. Jose, we'll start with you because we have Aljamain Sterling, who, at least to me and a lot of other people, one of the more underappreciated champions that we've had in a long time. And I understand that it's been a very weird title reign, won the belt in a way that nobody's really ever won the belt before. The title defenses, the fight with Jan was what it was. The Dillashaw fight was super weird because of the shoulder injury to TJ Dillashaw. So it has been a weird ride since he got the title shot with Piotr Jan in the first place. No doubt about that. But he takes on Henry Cejudo, comes back, to an immediate title shot after a little over three years away. Man, there are a lot of questions about this fight, a lot of unknowns when it comes to Henry Cejudo, isn't there? What what are some of the big questions you have right now, whether it be on the Cejudo side or maybe it's on the Aljo side? 
Well, for Henry Cejudo, like we were talking about this on the official weigh-in show, like I asked Casey and AK this, and we all kind of came to an agreement that just by default, Aljamain just might have the best MMA wrestling that Henry Cejudo has faced inside the octagon. Obviously, he's fought a lot of high-level opponents, like Marlon Moraes is, is a very talented striker. Dominic Cruz is the greatest bantamweight ever. Uh, TJ Dillashaw is an incredibly well-rounded mixed martial arts. But a lot of these guys, especially you know Dominic Cruz, the long layoff, Marlon Moraes, that win hasn't aged especially well. Uh, TJ Dillashaw's compromise coming down to flyaway. Demetrius Johnson, you know, fought on one knee, and a lot of people think DJ won. So I think this is really the big question is which guy can really legitimize themselves? Just it's by no fault of their own. Their wins, their last few wins, even as champion, have there's just been murkiness surrounding them. Uh, like you mentioned, all the Aljamain stuff and obviously the, the disqualification, the close fight against Peter Jan, um, the injury to TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo's, everything I just mentioned. So the big question I have is which one, whoever wins this, whoever emerges as the undisputed bandweight champion of the world, do, do they legitimize themselves in the eyes of fans and kind of erase the questions of the past like uh, it kind of reminds me of like when tyron woodley was the champion and everyone had all these questions like all the guys he fought were washed and this and that and then he goes out there and just melts darren till and all of a sudden we're talking about is tyron woodley the best welterweight of all time same as kamara usman a lot of people thought you know after the foot stopping incident uh with Jorge masvidal on fight island a lot of people called him boring they didn't they were booing him at press conferences he goes out there and absolutely melts jorge masvidal and it just erases all of the questions and negativity surrounding them so my biggest question outside of x's and o's because i'm the wrong person asked for that is which one of these fighters really does legitimize themselves as the undisputed champion okay what was interesting about the press conference yesterday was something we haven't really seen before aljamain sterling was getting cheered like a hero and Cejudo was getting booed. Like, Aljamain was the babyface. When I was in freaking Jacksonville, Florida. Jose, you were there. In Jacksonville, Florida, Piotr Jan was treated like he was a god. And Aljamain Sterling was treated like just the worst human being on the planet. But now, the babyface heel roles have sort of flipped a little bit. Cejudo has kind of leaned into being a heel. But it's been a long time since I've seen such a positive reaction for Aljamain Sterling. So... What are some of the big questions you have about this fight? Is it on the Cejudo side? Is it on the Aljo side? And and just the fight overall? Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see Aljo getting that kind of reception. He has kind of been booed in some weird places. And again, we, we talked a lot about the strangeness of his championship reign and why it's just rubbed people the wrong way, um, whether it's his fault or not. Again, the DQ, uh, uh, the uh, split decision with Jan in the second fight, uh, Dillashaw being, you know, beating up a one-armed man and TJ Dillashaw in his uh, last hell defense. Uh, none of that's his fault. Not that's his fault, but there's just a lot of people who are like, well, this title reign is is tainted by all these various things, and it's not his fault. It was, maybe he couldn't get cheered in Newark, which I had to do a quick check. It's like two hours, like a two-hour drive from uh, Uniondale, from, uh, from his stomping grounds in Uniondale. Then um, then he's not going to get cheered anywhere. So, And, and we, I, he said he can't fight in New York right now. So this is about as close to, uh, to home days as it gets. If he got booed here uh, or there, I'd say I'm not there. If he got booed in Newark, that would be a rough look. That'd be a rough look and very confusing. Um, so it's good that uh, he seems to at least be on the side of the right for once. And yeah, Cejudo, listen, he called himself the king of cringe, which he's kind of like a, his way of protecting himself from people not liking him. It's kind of, he's, he's, he's developed this persona of like, well, if you don't like me, it's because it's on purpose. It's because I don't want you to like me. I'm, uh, that, this is me winning. You, know, you win either way. If he gets cheered, great. Who doesn't want to get cheered? If he gets booed, oh, it means my, my, my gimmick is working. You know, so... I don't think he cares either way. Uh, 
my, so my my thing with this fight is I really wonder. I, I know we talked about the age a lot, but I just really wonder if Cejudo will be the one to overcome that. Uh, we've we've uh, talked about the statistic that was thrown out there by Luke Thomas, something like welterweight and below uh, championship fights. If you're 36 and over, you're two and like 27 or something like that. Uh, it's just not. It just has not gone well. That combat sports, sports in general, but especially combat sports, is not uh generous to athletes uh, to aging athletes um the higher you go can be mitigated for sure obviously we see heavyweight guys are in their 36 37 38 in their 40s that are still contenders but this is a whole different thing and you add in that he's been off for so long and is that a good thing or a bad thing i think there's a lot of positives to it uh talking about Zahudo, because that's three years less wear and tear yeah, he's been, you know, he's been in the gym, he's been training with people, but that's different than preparing a fight and actually fighting. So that's three years less wear and tear. How can that that's gotta be a good thing? But it's also it's also three years away from that kind of proper preparation for a fight and just jumping right back into a title fight against a guy like Aljo, who is, you know, I think underrated as as far as how good he is still. Um, it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. And we've also talked about motivation. Is Suhudo just coming back for one for the money? And two, for the potential to make even more money if he can beat Aljo and get that fight with Alexander Volkanovsky. That's a lot of factors to be looking at outside of the fight itself. And if anyone can avoid you know, getting distracted by that stuff, it's certainly Henry Cejudo. Um, but I think anyone would be – it would affect them if, they, if, they're, if they, those are factors that are weighing on them heading into such an important fight. So we can break down the tactics and strategies and all that and, and so the style matchup, but there's a lot going on outside of that. So many intangibles. And I really want to see how Cejudo looks um, not competing since May 2020 and, and having like seemingly been content to walk away from the game. But here he is now. Jose, I want to go back to something you touched on earlier because when we have fights like this, the resumes that both of these guys have, you know, like you mentioned, who can legitimize their run better? Like who can be the guy that kind of puts the stamp on what they have done throughout their career. We talk about legacies with fight like fights like this and what a win can do for either guy in the long-term stakes of their career and just the the short-term stakes that come with fights like this outside of the title because you can make a compelling case that both guys really need this one to legitimize their runs in different ways. So I'm curious in your opinion Jose, who needs to legitimize themselves more here. Who needs to win this one more? Cejudo, after the long layoff and the things he's been saying, the confidence he and his team have put out there, or is it Aljamain Sterling, who has had this very strange run that we talked about earlier and doesn't typically get the respect he deserves? Oh, I think it's for sure Aljamain because the first time he gets cheered, can't imagine he wants to lose because then he loses all of that. So Henry Cejudo... As weird and as cringy and as problematic as some of his social media posts have been, the, in terms of just actual competition, there's not a lot left for him to prove. And, you know, former Bantamweight champion, former Flyweight champion, and then apparently he was a gold medalist, the youngest U.S. Olympic gold medalist, and he wants to go for 145. So I guess for his own goals, he, that it's a major, it's a, it's a must win. But if Al Jermaine, as we've all said, not the most beloved champion in the last few years. In fact, I'd probably put him near the bottom in terms of fan perception. He's very, very clearly one of the more underappreciated fighters, especially Bantamweights, because if he wins, what's that? Is this to tie the record for like most Bantamweight title defenses or something like that? So I think it's 100% Algerman because we've talked about fighters need, like if you want to kind of move to the next level in terms of 
drawing power and just being a high level prize fighter, you need that image of just the arena erupting around you, like Stipe had in Cleveland, Darren Till had it in Liverpool. Uh, Conor McGregor had it in Ireland famously. So you just, you need that image and you need a, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a strong outing. You just need the win. Like Darren Till, his fight against Wonderboy was very technical, but it was very controversial main event. Stipe melted Alistair Overeem. Conor McGregor melted Diego Brandao. So I think Aljamain just needs a convincing win in front of his home crowd and just that image alone of beating an Olympic champion, a former two-division champion in his own backyard, I think would be enough to kind of put Al Jermaine over the edge in terms of fan popularity. Now, he'll very obviously be booed by a certain demographic uh, if he fights Sean O'Malley because Sean O'Malley is very popular. When I say demographic, like within an age demographic, like that internet, like YouTube generation that just loves these YouTube boxers. They tune into the Nelk boys and Barstool and everything. Sean O'Malley has really captured that audience. Aljamain will obviously be booed against Sean O'Malley, but for his career, I think Aljamain Sterling really, really needs this win against Henry Cejudo, especially because he's talked a lot. He's talked just as much as Henry Cejudo. He's saying like, oh, Henry Cejudo is, doesn't need, he's, I'm going to send him off into retirement and this and that. Like, if Henry Cejudo goes out there and does what he'd small and rest Aljamain Sterling, I don't know how much Aljamain Sterling can come back from that. AK, do you agree or disagree with that? I am so, I mean, like, again, we, we've touched upon it a bit before. I'm so concerned that there's just nothing, there's no outcome Saturday that is super beneficial to Aljamain Sterling. Winning, Duh. L- l- listen, the, 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 he won. He needs to win. He needs to win. But it, I, I, I'm still trying to struggle to figure out what, what Jose said is right. If Aljamain Sterling beats Henry Cejudo, a two division champion, a former Olympian, a guy who who left on his own terms, um, just really an all time great combat sports athlete, that should be enough. That should be enough to have people say, okay, you know what? Forget what happened with the one arm Dilla Shah. Forget what happened with the two Piotr Jan fights. I mean, those are, those are solid wins, but they didn't convince me. But now he beats this guy. I am convinced. I am convinced Aljo is an all-time great, maybe the second best uh, bantamweight of all time with, with Dilla Shah in the running to become the best if he can continue this run at 135. But again, I, I maybe I have just become too uh, cynical or too quick to try and like predict you know how people are going to react to a fight. I'm I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of the trolls coming out and saying, "Well, he 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 ran through uh he ran through a guy coming off a three year break who was just coming back for you know for for you know poop and giggles, or or it went to a close decision. You know he 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 won a close decision. He he couldn't even finish. You know he won a, he won a close decision over uh, over a guy who's been away for so long, or worse, some sort of controversy. Can you imagine if there's some sort of foul-related controversy like what happened with the first Piotr Jan fight? I, I dread it. An eye poke, a fence grab, uh, just something something that that is controversial beyond the you know beyond the result. I, I am so scared for it. Um, and I don't say this because I'm some huge fan of Aljamain Sterling and I want to see him validated, but I, I am a huge fan of the bantamweight division. And I feel like it it deserves to be above these kinds of like these kind of weird uh, narrative. But until again, until Aljamain Sterling like earns, I don't want to say universal because no one in combat sports has universal ugh, universal respect. Uh, until you know, there's some stability at the top because it's weird for a guy who's again had some really 
had some title defenses over some huge names. It it just doesn't feel like there's been that stability. And I really want to see that. And that starts with him beating Henry Cejudo and hopefully in such a way that people acknowledge, again, how strong his run really has been. Um, even before he won the title, he's just been on a really, really strong run in one of the you know uh, MMA's marquee divisions, I say. Um, but yeah, I can't, Mike, I can't help it. I don't know if I'm too snake bitten by, um, by people taking things the wrong way and uh, taking a negative slant on things. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And, and whoever wins, whoever wins, it's convincing. And we're, we don't have to, we don't have to question like, uh, oh, this person truly the champions is truly a great fighter. I just hope we get a result that's, that's uh, leads to nothing but respect, respect and praise, which is um, often too rare in, uh, in these discussions. Oh, dude, there's definitely a real world where if Aljamain Sterling wins this fight, it's going to be, well, if he fought, fought him three years ago, wouldn't have been that way. Or, you know, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Because of the layoff and all this and whatever. But yeah, I, I yeah. completely agree it's Aljamain Sterling for a number of reasons. One is for the legacy and getting that name on the resume. Who cares about the layoff? All that. Especially like you said, AK, if he does it pure and clean and without any weirdness or controversy, that's huge. And plus... The other thing, if he loses this fight, unless it's an all-out robbery, he ain't getting a rematch. And the UFC is probably not going to do him any favors if he decides to move up to 145. But Cejudo losing, interesting talking point, Jose, because I don't think it hurts his legacy too much. The layoff, what he's done in the past, like you said, not much else more for him to prove overall, two-division champ, gold medal, etc., but as far as this comeback trail goes, Jose, we talked about some BTL yesterday. What happens to Henry Cejudo if he does not get his hand raised tomorrow? Hmm. I would have like obviously the better favor would be he just retires again because like what else does like his his whole he laid out his list you know beat Aljamain Sterling beat Sean O'Malley beat Alice Volkanovsky and become 4C or whatever he calls it. So if he loses, that obviously throws a wrench into the game plan. And I don't know if there's another fighter out there that drums up enough interest to keep Henry Cejudo around unless they just start throwing a lot of money at him. But they didn't do that when he was a two-division champ that retired. So I can't imagine they'd do that if he was coming off of a loss. I would imagine he retires. He's not the youngest fighter anymore. The biggest name that draw like he's not going to fight. What you think Henry Cejudo is going to fight Corey Sanhagen in a co-main event of a pay-per-view or a fight night main event? Probably not. Sean O'Malley is the biggest name for him to fight, and to get that fight, he would need to win because Aljamain Sterling is also saying Sean O'Malley's next. Dana White said Sean O'Malley's next, so obviously you got to win the fight to fight Sean O'Malley and get the big money fight and keep your dreams of being a three division champion alive. I would imagine he retires because I don't think there's much. There's not much out there to have him stick around unless it's one of those weird controversial decisions like or a draw or a foul or something like that. But in this perfect world where it's just the winner is fair and square and it happens to be Aljamain Sterling, I would imagine Henry Cejudo retires again because he can just go coach a fight ready. He's a dad. He can go coach wrestling. He can do all of that. AK, do you think if he loses, he's done? Or Jed was saying on BTL yesterday... No, he'll just move to 145. He could try to get a Max Holloway fight or something like that and still keep the dream alive somehow. I don't know if I necessarily buy that, but it's an idea and I wouldn't completely rule it out. But do you think if he loses tomorrow, that's it? 
He's not fighting again if he loses. Why would he? Listen, he he did the smart thing three years ago when he was like, the price isn't right. Uh, you know, happy to be UFC champion, happy to have, you know won titles in two divisions, but they weren't he they weren't paying him enough money. Um, I'm sure he's making a good amount of money for this fight, but it is a title opportunity. Unless they've unless he's guaranteed to keep making the same amount of money for this fight, um, as he if he decides to continue on. And they're going to keep giving him uh, like championship level money. Then fine, he'll stick around. I highly doubt that's the case. I he certainly has the name value and and the reputation for it, but I I don't know how often the UFC does deals like that with people, especially someone com- you know coming off of a three year uh, layoff with no guarantee again that he wants to stick around for the long run. So unless and there's all kind, I I would love to know the exact circumstances and negotiations he had with UFC as far as like making some sort of commitment. Like, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sticking around to, to fight win or lose. Um, I'll, maybe I'll move up to 145. Uh, maybe I stick around 135, take some big fights there, but I, just saying it, it doesn't sound reasonable. He's only wants to do this fight so he can become a champion again and eventually set up a fight with Volkanovsky. He's been very vocal about that. Maybe fight O'Malley. Sure. Again, great fight, big money fight. And that's it. But he has to win to get those fights. I would hope so anyway. If he loses and gets a fight with O'Malley, that would just be friggin' insane. I couldn't even imagine why they would do that. But I never thought he'd come back to a teleshot in the first place. Um, so uh, Jose said, it's a betting favorite. And if I were actually betting, I would put so much money on that, him not fighting again with a loss. It just doesn't make sense for him. Um, he's not, I, again, I'm pretty confident he will not make the same amount of money uh, that he's making at UFC 288 for any subsequent non-title fights. He's th- uh, he has a a family now. Um, part of his motivation is probably wanting to you know see if he can still do it, see if he can still take that time and commit to it. And good for him for making the weight, putting in the training camp. Um, but if it doesn't come with the reward of a title, with, a, with the reward of a, a victory, I can't see him getting motivated to get back in there. Um, he's got other he's got other things to do, other fulfilling things in life, and he's only coming back to win. So. No, this is this is it. If he um, this is it for good. If he doesn't win. Well, speaking of betting, according to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, which you could use the code the MA hour to get an incredible deal and some incredible value, uh, it's close to a pick'em right now. Henry Cejudo minus one fifteen, the ever so slight favorite. The comeback on the champion Aljamain Sterling minus one hundred five. Pretty much a coin flip here, Jose Youngs. Who gets this done tomorrow? Um. I think most people will probably pick Aljamain, so I'm just going to pick Henry Cejudo, but I say that with zero confidence. Uh, this is 50-50 for me because as weird as as Henry Cejudo is, he is so good <laughs> at fighting. <laughs> He's so good. Like he, like the guy knocked out TZ Show, the guy knocked out Dominic Cruz, the guy knocked out Marlon Moraes, like three of the greatest Bantamweights ever. You know, beat, the, beat Demetrius Johnson in a split decision. A, a guy that a lot of people think is, is the greatest of all time. And even before, like, do you remember what his fight was before Demetrius Johnson? It was a win over current ban- Bellator champion, Sergio Pettis. So the guy, the guy, what's that? Two UF, three UFC champions, a one champion, a Bellator champion, and a World Series of Fighting champion. Like, not bad, Henry Cejudo. You're very good at MMA, and you're very good at fighting champions. And I, I'll pick Henry Cejudo. He uh, l- less wear and tear in his body. The last few fights, he hasn't even taken that much damage. I learned long ago it's not wise to bet against either Team Longo or Team Fight Ready. So I'm just going to go with with the intangibles, and that is Henry Cejudo 
knows how to win. And sometimes you just got to pick the guy that knows how to win. Alzheimer Sterling is supremely talented. These are two of the greatest fighters of all time. I made up my mind right now on the spot. I'll just pick Henry Cejudo. AK, where are you at? I was leaning towards Aljo when this was even rumored, you know, before, like, again, when all the talk started, I was leaning towards Aljo when it was officially announced. I'm sticking with Funk Master. Um, I just think, again, youth and size, I think there's just a lot of physical advantages that can be hard to overcome. I think, again, we've seen them um, next to each other a lot during this week. And, and, and Aljo already looks a ton bigger. I think it'll be even more pronounced after rehydration, after the, you know, they're all swolled up and in the, in the cage. You're really going to see how big... Uh, how much bigger Aljo was. People were were shocked. I think remember when um, he got in there with TJ and people were like, holy crap, like we knew he was bigger, but he's like so much bigger. It's going to be exactly like that with Cejudo. Size isn't everything. I mean, Cejudo, I'm sure, has been out wrestling people larger than him his entire life, right? He's a flyweight, bantamweight guy, you know, I'm sure. And he's in those he's in those uh, training rooms. He just matches up with anyone, probably toss him around. So size is like, it's not everything, but it, I think it makes a big difference in this fight. Age definitely matters. What I struggle with is trying to figure out exactly how Aljo beats him because he's not going to out-wrestle him. He's not going to just be like taking him down and winning in that way. And the striking, I think Aljo is a better striker than people give him credit for, but Henry Cejudo is such an excellent boxer. Um, but I think the reach will sort of mitigate that for Aljo. And like I said, Aljo can be really tricky. He can watch those like Piotr Jan fights. There are moments where he is winning exchanges, not the majority of them, but there's moments where he's winning exchanges. I think he gets, he's getting better and better in that department. So the striking is like, he's at a disadvantage, but not huge. And a lot of it will be, um, can he take Henry's back? I think for most people picking Aljo, that's what they're predicting. He'll kind of maybe bully him against the fence, find a way to take his back, um, you know, go to work from there, hopefully do some damage from there, get some submission attempts, not make, it's so murky uh like uh, the second yawn fight like he's got the control but it's how much is he actually how much of it is actually effective and scoring um but i do think that that is the strategy to be henry so uh, i don't know if it's gonna be a pretty win i don't know if it's gonna be a big statement win for sterling uh but i do like him taking a decision it's an extremely tough fight to call against Cejudo is so skilled and <laughs> mike you just said it we should we shouldn't even bring this up if they fought, you know, three years ago and they're both, you know, and Henry is closer to his prime, of course, I'd fix the hood all the way. But he's not. This isn't three years ago. I don't think he's in his prime anymore. I think Algio still is, maybe at the edge of his prime, but still is. And for me, that's enough for me to um, to go with the champ to, uh, to uh, be and still. Yeah, history is just not on the side of Henry Cejudo here, especially with that stat that you laid out, AK. And if we take welterweight out of it, nobody... If we just go lightweight to flyweight, no one over 35 has ever won a title fight in the UFC from lightweight to flyweight. But Henry Cejudo is a different kind of cat. This has been kind of a weird one for me because my initial read on this fight when it was first discussed and you know, went from the press conference to like, okay, this is probably going to happen. My initial read on this fight with the age and the layoff and where Sterling is at and is that Sterling was just going to run him over. Like I just... I don't know why that my gut was telling me this. I don't know why completely, but since Jump Street, that was sort of my initial read on this fight. I've since softened on that, but I still feel like Aljamain Sterling is going to win. And I will say this. I think if this fight does not go to the cards, if it gets finished, it's going to come from Henry Cejudo. But I just can't go against history too much. And I continue to pick against Aljamain Sterling and I get proven wrong every single time. I just think Aljamain's physical attributes will be the difference here. 
and I'm ready to be wrong and will happily come on the post-fight show and be like, yep, called that one wrong. But going with my gut, I'm going with Aljo, who is just kind of on one right now. And I just think he needs this a lot more than Henry does. It's the biggest opportunity of his career. It's his first ever main event in the UFC. He gets a headline of paper. He gets to do it at home. I think a lot of those factors are on his side. I think he gets it done in a competitive fight. I think it's one of those fights where he gets off to a nice lead and then Suhudo starts to turn it on late. And I think Aljo hangs on to win a unanimous decision in a gritty, grimy, maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing five-round main event we've ever seen. But I think it's going to be a super competitive fight. But I think Aljo hangs on and, and gets it done. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Co-main event. Mike, Mike our voters are... Oh, go ahead. Oh, Mike, our YouTube poll. Right down the middle. 50% Aljo, 50% Cejudo. Right down the middle. It's so tough to call. It's Woo. so tough to call. Uh, that's the second five-round fight that we will get because the co-main event is also five rounds. And I have mixed feelings about this fight. And if you listen to Heck of a Morning the last couple of days, you know why, but I'll get into it a little bit more later. But the stakes seem to be very high here between Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. This fight came together very quickly after Charles Oliveira's injury forced his fight with Benil Darius to get pushed back to June 10th at UFC 289. And on less than three weeks' notice, we found out that Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns are going to have this five-round fight, and I give both guys a ton of credit for this, and I hope the UFC is giving these guys each a big, giant bag of money for doing this. But this fight is happening, and according to both guys, and even Dana White at the press conference yesterday, the winner of this fight will go on to fight for the UFC welterweight title in their next fight, whether that is true or not remains to be seen. But Jose, your thoughts on this co-main event matchup? on less than three weeks' notice between Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. I mean, I like the fight as a fight, but like obviously, realistically, Bilal Muhammad should have already gotten the title shot, and uh, I'm never not going to watch Gilbert Burns' fight. So I, I like this fight as a high-level martial arts fight, and I like I am ecstatic that it's a five-round fight because I think number one contender fights should all be five-round fights. That being said... I think, like, if you're going to ask me who has the most to to win or most to lose in this fight, the answer is very clearly Bilal Muhammad. It's more obvious than when you asked me about the main event, and I chose Aljamain Sterling because Bilal Muhammad has talked a lot. He's done a lot of guest fighter media scrums. He's talked a lot on Twitter. He's at press conferences saying, oh, no wonder the Nets left New Jersey for Brooklyn and this and that. He, He is not like by the fans unfortunately and as he said if i win this fight and you're still a hater you're just always going to be a hater 
it doesn't help that he's fighting one of the more fan friendly in terms of action in Gilbert Burns. The man, this is third fight of 2023. And if he wasn't going to wait for the title, if he wins this fight, I would, I can very easily see a world where Gilbert Burns fights five, six times in 2023. That man always wants to fight and he's always in very exciting fights. And obviously the Hamza fights, one of the best fights you'll ever seen ever. And then Neil Magny, he just kind of tore through and then he retired Hori Mazudal. Bilal Muhammad beats Gilbert Burns. It will be the biggest win of his career. He'll get his number one contender. He'll do a, he'll do something that Hamzad's done and Kamara Usman has done at welterweight. As if, unless I'm forgetting someone, those are the only two guys to beat Gilbert Burns at welterweight. Bilal Muhammad has lost to Leon Edwards after getting stabbed in the eye. Outside of that, he's being everyone put in front of him. And I feel like he's one of those guys that it kind of reminds me of when the UFC would match make Jan Blachowicz, where he they would give him these guys where, oh, if you beat Jan, you'll get a, a, a title shot like Sean Brady, Vicente Luque, Stephen Thompson, like all these guys. They just really want them to, they, they want the UFC wants them to beat Bilal and then go on to a title shot. And Bilal just kind of grinds them into the the canvas and picks up a win and then they're like oh what can Bilal do to get more fans why don't you go fight undefeated Sean Brady in Abu Dhabi fight backwards in the rankings and maybe if you knock him out we'll cheer for you he does all of those things and they still boo him so he's leaned into it Bilal Muhammad has everything to win everything to lose uh, but I hope these guys are getting a big fat paycheck because they deserve it for taking this like what was Bilal Muhammad said he was like 190 something when he took this fight and he lost all that weight made weight looked fairly easy did the, the discount double check sign up on the scale yeah I'm very excited for this fight though AK your thoughts on this co-main event <sighs> Uh, again, I wish it was under more ideal circumstances for both guys, but you know, let's just be happy it's happening. It's, it's a great, it's a great matchup. It's a great matchup. Forget number one contender talk. We can question, you know, Dana White's sincerity all we want. At least it's good he said it. Uh, uh, let, <laughs> this is such a weird thing to be a way to, a way to frame it in a positive sense. At least he said it. At least he said it. That that's more than he does for a lot of fights that fans are kind of like, you know, oh, this should be a contender fight. Like, is is this for what are the stakes of this fight? At least he said it. At least he has put out the possibility uh that he and the UFC matchmakers and whoever else makes these decisions are viewing Bala Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, uh, whoever wins, as the rightful number one contender to the winner of the eventual Edwards uh, Colby Covington matchup. Also, should something happen to one of those guys, uh, they will step in for either a title opportunity or an interim title opportunity. So that's a good thing. That that is the best way to look at this fight beyond the fact that it, it'll just be enjoyable to watch them. And I'm glad they gave it five rounds. You know that tells me they are taking it seriously as far as um, seeing if these guys are contenders. We often say that all um, fights that are you know the UFC de- unofficially designates as number one contender fights. Should be five rounds, right? Because doesn't that make sense? You want to see if someone can go the full five, can go the distance. So they, they've handled it really well. And and the fighters, Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad, so much credit in the world for stepping up um, for this opportunity that only manifested because Charles Oliveira and Benny Dariush, you know, fell out. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the number one choice for the UFC. Um I want to believe, I really want to believe that if either guy has a um, you know, puts on an impressive performance. And I think they'll have to, by the way, to win this fight. I I, I would be shocked if we got a um, a dull fight here. I, I love the matchup. I love the matchup stylistically. I would. I really want to believe that whoever gets this fight fights for some form of title, whether interim or um, you know the undisputed title shot at Edwards or Covington by the end of the year. 
That's probably overly optimistic. We don't even know when Edwards uh, and Covington are going to fight. We just know that it's going to happen. But yeah, I like the matchup. And I, I will say, I agree. I think I've seen some people mention it that I don't think a loss like destroys either guy's long-term prospects. It sucks. It sucks for Bilal um, because, again, he's on this win streak, uh, undefeated streak. People can view the Edwards no contest wherever they want. It sucks for Bilal because he put in all this work, and it would be so easy for the UFC and for people who aren't fans of him to dismiss him with a loss. And it's like, okay, well, that streak's over. You know, we don't need to talk about Bilal as a title contender anymore. But I think that'd be silly. I think it would discount a lot of the good work he's done, He the, some of the names he's beaten. So it'll sting really bad for Bilal at first, but I don't think a loss um, ruins his chances. And Gilbert, he's already had a chance. He's already fought for the title. So it would sting a little bit less if he kind of got pushed aside for now. Um, and frankly, if Gilbert never fought for the title again, at least he can say he got a crack at it and gave you know, gave uh, Usman a pretty good, whatever, uh, 10 minutes, however long that fight lasted. So, um, yeah, Bilal kind of needs this. And uh, Michael, tell you right now, I'm leaning towards Bilal. All right, we'll get into the picks in a minute. But I agree with both of you guys because I get I get the UFC wanted to put a co-main event together with some stakes to replace one that had big stakes. But just this division and what, how it looks right now. And Leon's out till at least the fall, the Colby fight. There's just no rush in doing this. Like they could have waited. And honestly, like if they did the Jan Bohovic Paul Costa fight, I would have been totally fine with that. The build would have been fun. Both guys are super interesting. Costa brings a lot of attention to all of these fights that he's a part of. And it doesn't disrupt a damn thing. And now we have two guys fighting on short notice, may not fight again until 2024 with how things are shaping up. And by the way, I know it hasn't been booked yet, but. Conor McGregor is supposedly going to fight Michael Chandler at 170 pounds at some point this year. And if he goes out there and beats Chandler, that's going to cause a wrinkle in this plan too. You don't think Conor is a good chance of jumping either of these guys, especially if Bilal wins? So the fight is great. This is 1,000% the fight that should have been made. The bilal Shafkat fight, sure, but it didn't make a ton of sense. These two guys should have been fighting all along, but we could have done this in July or August and we, we could have done it on the same card as the title fight. Like that's my only quibble with it because the fight is interesting. Obviously the short notice nature makes it a little more intriguing and the winner gets a lot. We don't know what's going to happen to the loser. They're probably going to have to fight Shafkat Rachmanov, especially if Bilal loses this. So we'll see if, how far it pushes them back in the title picture, but it just seems like a lot to put on the line on such short notice when it wasn't really a do or die type of situation here. But nonetheless, Currently, Gilbert Burns, the slight favorite, minus 125. The comeback on Bilal Muhammad, minus 105. Jose, AK is leaning towards Bilal Muhammad. Are you doing the same? No, I'm going to leave towards Gilbert Burns. That man, like I said, he's all, I, I think the world of Bilal Muhammad in terms of what he can bring to the table in the, in the octagon, I just think Gilbert Burns gets it done. He's been incredibly active. He's not a guy that gets really out of shape uh, between fights. He's been in fight camp, fight camp, fight camp. So he was already in fight shape when they probably, I assume when they offered him this fight, Bilal, you know, kind of waffled a bit on taking the fight, it seems like, on social media, but then ended up accepting it when he he decided he actually could make weight. I'm curious what his situation was in terms of being fight ready because like Dustin Poirier said, like, oh, I could have taken this fight. I just wasn't in fight shape. There's a difference in getting in shape and getting in fight shape. Gilbert Burns seems like a guy that's always in fight shape. I just think he has more paths to victory. He can knock you out. He can submit you. He can take you to a decision, especially in a five-round fight where he has more time to play. 
I just think Gilbert Burns gets it done. He's one of the more exciting fighters on this roster. I put him right up there with guys like Justin Gaethje and Yuri Prohaska for pound for pound, most exciting fighters and most violent fighters in any weight class. I just I I lean towards Gil. I'll lean towards Gilbert Burn Burns against a lot of people at 170. Maybe even a lot of those guys above him in the rankings, which are very few. So, yeah, I pick Gilbert Burns. Don't know how, uh, but I'm I'm. I envision him getting his hand raised at the end. AK, you said you're leaning Blah Muhammad. Explain yourself. Yeah, l- yeah. Listen, I- I've had Gilbert as my number two guy at 170 for a long time. For a long- I love Gilbert Burns. Uh, great fight, just super well-rounded guy. Great finisher, incredible jujitsu. But I think I've overlooked Bilal a bit as well. And I also think Bilal has just been getting better and better and better and better. Listen, there was a lot of criticism early on for you know some of his decision wins yeah and, and listen I, i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you oh i can remember uh how his win over lyman good went you know three i, I don't I, I don't remember that fight maybe it wasn't exciting i don't i don't recall but i do remember the damian maya fights his you know his more recent encounters and it's not just because of, of recency bias because he's 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 gotten better he's gotten better at really controlling these fights he's not just like he's not just you know a point fighting i don't feel he is anyway like he's doing damage to some of these guys um he, he the sean brady fight he was huge just getting a finish was huge, but that to me was like the culmination of of a lot of performance, uh, uh, a lot of um, excuse me, improvements he's made. There's no shame in not being able to finish Vicente Luque. There's no shame in not being able to finish Stephen Thompson, Damian Maya. These guys are super tough, um, and Sean Brady is also super tough. So finishing him was was it was so badly needed for his reputation, and I'm just impressed. I think he's trending so well. I love that it's five rounds. I think five rounds favors him. Um, I think if he stays out of danger through the first two, I think if, uh, I think if he can push the pace in the last three rounds, boy, I do think Gilbert Burns is going to have a little bit of trouble dealing with that. Like I said, I'm really excited about this fight. I think it's I love the matchup, and I think it's going to be um, a potential fight of the night candidate. And I have Bilal uh, just outlasting him, just outlasting him. But Gilbert Burns is great. I just think this is Bilal Muhammad's time. He's going to make that statement, and he's going to earn himself some kind of title shot. And I think that's uh, that's an exciting thing to think about. Yeah, this is one of those fights where initially my gut told me, yeah, this guy's definitely going to win. And that guy was Gilbert Burns. But then I went back and watched a lot of tape. And the more I've watched and the more I've seen from both guys in their current runs, Gilbert Burns being 36, almost 37, Bilal still a couple of years younger. I just see Bilal like just on another level right now. Like he's just, it, it's just his time. And the big thing for me And I didn't, I was doing the watch party, obviously, when the fight was going on. So I didn't really get, I mean, I obviously watched the fight, but I didn't get to like sit down and really break it down. This might be a little hot takey. I did not love what I saw from Gilbert Burns when I rewatched the Jorge Mazadal fight earlier this week. Burns won. It wasn't controversial. He looked good, but he didn't look great. Matchup that, especially with the way Mazadal looked and how he sort of admitted he felt heading into that fight. I thought Burns could have been a little better there, but I just didn't think he looked great. So I, I'm with you, AK. I'm actually leaning Bilal Muhammad to win a decision here. I think it's a really good matchup for him. And much like the main event, if a finish comes, I think it comes from Burns in the first seven and a half minutes of the fight. But if that doesn't happen, I think Muhammad and his pace, dude doesn't get out of shape, Ramadan, short notice, none of that stuff. I don't think it's going to play a huge factor in this fight. But I do think Muhammad can pull away and steal a massive win. So I think it is going to be a close fight. Uh, I do think if a finish comes, it comes from the burn side. But 
I am leaning Bal Muhammad to to outlast Gilbert Burns and pick up the biggest win of his career. So uh, that's the main and the co-main of it. We get Jessica Andrade, Jajanan on the main card. Mobzar of Loyev versus newcomer Diego Lopez. The return of Crone Gracie versus Charles Jordan. That will kick off the main card. Uh, so let's real quick, let's go to low-key banger. Jose, I mean, there's a lot to ch- choose from here. You mentioned some of the names that aren't getting enough attention. Uh, I think Drew Dober, Matt Favola is probably the most obvious pick, but that's the main event prelim right. fight. So what's the low-key fight storyline that's not on the main card that's not getting talked about enough, in your opinion? I mean, in terms of like like rankings-wise and what it means to the division, the most important fight of the prelims is obviously Marina, Marina Rodriguez and Ferdinand Jandiroba. Marina Rodriguez, I feel like, has been on the cusp of a title shot on more than one occasion. She had that split decision uh, lost to Carlos Barza. She had that draw against Cynthia Calviero. She lost to Amanda Lemos in uh, a, a finish that I don't think people remember, but it was at the time there was a lot of debate of whether they should have stopped the fight. But as you do in MMA, people are quick to forget. Uh, she's one of those rare fighters that has multiple draws on her resume. And she's caught, she at one point, I felt like she was in the same boat Al and Benil and all and Sergey Pavlovich and all these guys were like they've earned they had she had earned a title shot I feel like she beat Mackenzie Dern she beat Michelle Waters and she beat Yan Zhaonan and then I don't think she needed to take that fight against Amanda Lemos she did she lost she likes to fight um she she moved on and uh, she's taking this fight against Verna Jandaroba who I thought I can't believe these two haven't been matched up before like these are it's it's rare when you get two strawweights that have 15 plus wins and single digit losses on their resumes fighting for the first time. And this is what we have. Uh, it's, it's every definition of the word, a striker versus submission specialist. Marie Rodriguez obviously has incredibly unorthodox looping punches and Verna Jandy Roba. I think, I only think she has what two, three wins by decision and maybe four. And I don't, I know she only has one, TKO and other outside of that has been all submissions. Um, so yeah, I I love this fight for what it does for the division. One of these fighters will you know continue on their path to get a title shot. Verna, uh, I believe her last win was over Angela Hill, but that was May. That was a year ago, I think, if I remember correctly. And then before that, she had just lost to who Amanda Hebas and Mackenzie Dern, and I think Carlos Barza. And then Marina Rodriguez has only lost to. Carla, the former champion, and Amanda Lemos, who a lot of people think could be the next challenger at 115 pounds. So in terms of importance, this is the answer. In terms of excitement, the obvious answer is, of course, Drew Dober versus Matt Frivola because someone's going to sleep in that fight. But that's too obvious obvious of an answer, and I think Marina and Verna deserve a little more spotlight than they're getting leading into this, uh, this pay-per-view. Good choice. AK, low-key banger, storyline, fighter, etc. My best friend, I got a poll going. What fight are you Ooh. looking forward to the most outside of the top three? Outside the top three. So I didn't want to, I just, I, I was trying to narrow down. This is actually, again, like a lot of sort of low key bangers. So I wanted to narrow it down as much as I could. Um, so I had to remove Andrade, Jan Chaunan. Um, so I put uh, right now leading, of course, Dober Frivola, 57%. Gracie Jordan, not far behind, 32%. I think there's a lot of people are curious as to how, uh, you know, Crone's going to look on his way back because he looked spectacular against Alex Caceres. He has the Gracie Mystique and then got a bit of a reality check with, with Cub Swanson. And Charles Rodin feels like somewhere in between there. So, uh, And then uh, Rodriguez and Jan Jiroba, 6% only. Shame on you people. And 
really shame on you people for the my fourth choice for the poll and my pick for the low key banger mic. I think you know what it is. Are Mark you doing Porter it, aren't you? Versus Braxton Let's Smith. Let's go. Of course, I'm going to Porter versus Braxton Smith. This is a beautiful heavyweight contest. Uh, Parker Porter, Parker Porter. Again, he is the most. He is the most uh, Parker Porter person on the planet. There are probably other Parker Porters out there somewhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, none of them are as. I'm not going to say it again because I don't want to hear the sound right now. Are uh, as Parker Porter as him. Oh, I said it. <laughs> Braxton Smith is a. Five foot eleven heavyweight, the beautiful monster. Um, I want to give a quick recap of his story. I, I talked about this in the way and show, but I just give a quick recap. Shout outs to uh, Daniel Vreeland and Top Turtle MMA who did an interview with him this week. That's how I learned about Braxton Smith. Um, aside from looking at his record, of course, uh, five straight first round knockouts. Uh, shout out to them. You can find that on I think CagesidePress.com. Listen to that show. Uh, Braxton Smith debuts in 2014, loses to Chase Sherman, and then disappears for eight years. Uh, he was asked why was this was the case. He said MMA wasn't even his choice in the first place. His mother, you know, he was an athlete in high school and college, I think. And then his mother said, uh, you know, I, I guess it didn't work out. And his mother just wanted him to go still do something with his athletic gifts. And she and she told him, go. She was watching WEC. <laughs> Not UFC. She was on WEC. And she's like, you should do this. And he's like, all right, I'll try it. He gets knocked up by Chase Sherman. He's like, nope, I tried it. I'm good. Uh, unfortunately, his mother did pass away. And I think, uh, you know, that sort of motivated him to give it one more shot. So he returns to competition in last year, 2022, just rattles off a bunch of first-round knockouts, gives himself this deadline to make it to the UFC. If he doesn't within two years, he's just going to, again, go back to doing whatever. No more MMA. Here he is in the UFC fighting Park Reporter. So very interesting guy. <laughs> Very interesting guy. Great nickname. Complete wild card. Again, he's got five first round knockouts, but two of them are against the same guy. He's got one of those kind of records. Parker Porter, I think, is a considerable step up. So this is either... The aforementioned is either going to dominate this fight uh, against the relatively inexperienced Braxton Smith, or Braxton Smith kills him inside of a round, and we have ourselves a new star in the UFC heavyweight division. I'm super excited. They should bump that fight to the main card, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. there's a couple of ones we didn't mention. Um, I'm curious about Chaos Williams. We haven't seen him in about a year. Uh, I think he's got a really good tailor-made sort of stylistic matchup. Uh, Rolando Bedoya has a great record, good fighter, but he gets hit a lot, and Chaos Williams hits really, really hard. So I'm excited to see Chaos back in there. Is a very popular Otno selection, AK, and we people are wondering where he's been. Well, he's going to be in the octagon tomorrow. Uh, Ikram Alaskarov making his debut. Tough matchup with Phil Haas, but I think he's going to be a real threat at 185 pounds. And I feel like this could be a breakout night for Kennedy and Chichuku. I know he had the the weird main event with Iwan Kutalaba and all of that, but I feel like fighting a guy like Devin Clark, it'll be on ESPN. It'll be on that that prelim set. I feel like Kennedy's a guy who his physical gifts are sort of, they've always been there. And I think his his fighting prowess is catching up to those physical gifts. Uh, one of the things John Anik was telling me when we spoke was that he went out to Fortis MMA and got to watch a lot of those guys and gals train. And he said, Kennedy and Chuku is the hardest worker in the room. I was really impressed by 
him being such a sponge and how physical he is and just being able to absorb all this information and just really stood out to John during their trip over there. So uh, definitely interested to see what he can do against a Wiley veteran and Devin Clark, but should be a fun card and we'll see it all go down tomorrow. We'll take a few questions from the peeps. We'll bring in Casey. Casey is, uh, is today your anniversary? Did I see that? You and uh, uh, the yes, iconic sir. voice? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, happy, happy anniversary. anniversary. <laughs> four years. Four years. 18, 18 years together, four years what? official. Wow. 18 years, yeah. Four years official, though. 18 yeah. years. I know, Amazing. I know. It's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> All right, but enough about me. Um, what do we got here? All right. Oops. Blow that up. Uh, Matt Maggio. So what's everyone's thoughts on Luminary saying Aljo is the greatest Bantamweight of all time with a win? I don't know if I'm taking crazy what, pills. Which Luminaries? I think it's clearly Dominic Cruz. Um, so John Anik did mention, like, I don't know what Luminaries are saying this, but John Anik said that Aljo has a strong case. He thinks it's Dominic Cruz right now. And even if Aljo wins this fight, it might not be enough, but he goes out and beats Henry Cejudo, maybe even finishes him, and then goes out and just runs over Sean O'Malley. And I think that that might be enough to to get him past Dominic Cruz. So I don't think he does so with the win. Maybe if he beats Cejudo or maybe if he beats Cejudo then O'Malley, maybe that's something else. But how close is he, Jose, right now? I mean, he's close. The fact that we're having this conversation just kind of cements the fact that he's close. It's just similar to like, oh, if Charles Oliveira had beaten Islam, is he the greatest lightweight ever? Could be very close, maybe one more big win, but uh, this just feels like Bantamweight has the the Bantamweight title's kind of been a hot potato, kind of like heavyweight. So, so it's just the fact that he's in the he's in the conversation. Maybe one, maybe the win over Sean O'Malley, because then the, I think he's missing he's missing Dominic Cruz on his right. Like if he had if he had a win over Dominic Cruz and he had a win over TJ Dillashaw and he had a win over Henry Cejudo, then that then he would probably be the best but he's right up there top five for sure ak how close is he it's it's just hard for me to compare um some of the champions now to you know the that uh mid-2000s ride guys like gsp Anderson silva dominic cruz from wc to ufc jose aldo because that longevity to me is was so important um it's it you know we we can extrapolate a lot from wins over again. Let's say he beats Cejudo, Cejudo, Piotr Jan, TJ Dillashaw, huge, huge. Uh, you know that you could say well it doesn't matter that he doesn't have the um, a more of a breadth of opponents. Like those three guys are so much better than all these other guys by beating those three by proxy. He's kind of show we kind of know he's better than these divisions, but uh, other guys in the division. But like longevity matters because MMA is so random. For me, it's that ability to to so frequently fight. Um, not that Sterling's been inactive. Um, outside of after he won the title and had to, was dealing with injuries but it's so important to me to take to, to show that longevity to have these different like peaks because if you look at dominic cruz i've just had to go to his resume now there's some awesome names in here this is dating back to 2009 ian mccall was a great fighter uh joseph benavidez twice huge huge wins uriah Faber twice um dj he beat dj people like to sort of scoff at that because oh dj was competing bantamweight like that win to me totally counts uh, DJ was a and top, I love that fight DJ was because a top ten bantamweight. People he forget was. that. Yeah, you he absolutely was, was top ten bantamweight. Yeah. Hey, he's 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 a top ten bantamweight now. Technically, if we're talking yeah. about the, the one weight classes, <laughs> that's a great win. That that's such a forgotten win. Um, 
he and he had to mix the martial arts to do it. It was a very cool fight. People, I don't know how people just didn't watch that fight. It's such a cool win. Uh, he beats Dillashaw. You know, controversial Dillashaw. The resume is so strong for Dominic Cruz. And again, if you take the if you took like the three best names of Sterling and the three best names of Cruz, sure, sure, it's comparable. It's comparable. But what what puts Cruz over is the that second tier of guys he's also beaten. Um, and I want to see more of that from Aljo. But these guys just don't do these long. Long title reigns anymore it's just not yeah it's just not a thing anymore and that's fine so it's it, it's just different eras if you want to make an argument for aljo if he beats cejudo beats o'malley beats maybe a cheeto vera beats someone else um I'm, I'll, I'll hear it i'll hear it but it's just really hard to compare eras so i there's a case that he could beat um that he could beat surpass dominant cruz for me cruz still uh pretty clearly number one Aljo will tie for the most title defenses in Bantamweight history if he wins this fight with three, and he will be the first fighter in UFC history, first Bantamweight fighter in UFC history, first Bantamweight champion in UFC history to defend his title three consecutive times. No one has ever done it before. Uh, Dillashaw and Cruz have done it three times, but over separate reigns. So that's history right there. And if Sterling beats O'Malley, he'll be number one. Who's your top five then? Because we keep talking about number one. Who's two through four, two through five? So Aljo, so I guess you got to go Aljo, you got to go Dillashaw, you got to go Dominic Cruz. If you want to throw in, and then see, this is where you get like, you could say like, would you put Cejudo in there? It's like, would you like, would you put Cejudo in there? I would throw Miguel Torres in there for sure. Because at one point it's like, like Hannon Burrell, I know his his career kind of ended strangely, but at one point he was number two. Cody Garbrandt obviously is, has to be up. Uriah Faber's like TJ. the best. Well, Faber was a great band. Yeah, TJ, yeah, he just TJ, never, TJ, obviously. Did we mention TJ? Yeah, I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, we we talked, TJ, but, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Like, yeah. TJ Sterling Cruz is your... was good. Yeah. Bibiano was great, obviously, mm-hmm. for like a decade. So it's, at that point, it gets murky. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think Bantamweight, because I feel it is the, the best division, not, not the marquee division. I get that because it doesn't sell the most tickets, but I think. Just how deep it is. It's it's gonna be so hard for to ever get like a Habib type of like we're okay. That guy clearly is the best ever, and at the bantamweight division because it's just so freaking competitive. But yeah, I would agree. Dom is the goat right now at bantamweight. But it's like it's like it's, BJ Penn was at lightweight for years. He was just kind of the default answer. Default, yeah. But Umar's coming. Umar's Umar coming. Is coming. Uh, I, I I feel we're going to see Marab Marab's waiting around too. Marab Marab's waiting right around there. too. Um, I do. I think there's a guy in Bellator who's their champ, that, so the interim Mar- champ. That's super the Marab, good too. The Marab one is strange because a lot of people, people on this website even, don't consider Amanda the best women's fighter ever because she has losses early in her career. Marab started zero and two in the UFC, and people want to add him into the possibility of greatest band weights ever. Like RDA started 0-2 and, and he's yeah. very clearly one of the greatest lightweights ever. So I, I people, guess he, people, he, people move the goalposts to fit people in these narratives. Yeah, you. there's almost a difference between like careers and like incredible runs. And I think unfortunately, yeah, Rob starts – really, he was 0-2. I thought he was 0-1. Why did he start 0-2? Who was the second loss against? I know Ricky's uh, – Ricky Simone and Frankie Signs. Frank, he lost to Frankie Signs in his first fight. Split. That's. I thought he won that fight. But, but either, either way, the, the fact that it was, the, it was even competitive. Technically, but, technically competitive. His, his pro career, he started 1-2. 
That's he lost to Ricky. He lost to Ricky Bandejas, and then went on a run and beat Rufion Stotts, and then got to the UFC and lost to Frankie. Like it happens. Yeah, it's this is wild. Um, yeah, ban- yeah, bantamweight is just really hard to to. There's no, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's, it's all over the place. And then guys, they continue the career too long. So kind of you have uh, the Hen and Burrell kind of situation where. He was on that Mount Rushmore, but now we're like, Ugh, you don't even kind of talk about him anymore. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I, you just I, you just said it. I didn't even think of him. I didn't even think Who? of him. Like, Brow, Brow, Brow. That's what I, I said. Did, I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, I, yeah. But I just mean, like, we we don't even remember how dominant he was because how of how bad he kind of ended his career. There was um, a point in time where we were talking about is Johnny Hendricks a top five welterweight? Like it, it's MMA. It's silly. At one point, we were like, Usman and Woodley could have been the greatest welterweights. I never bought yeah. into that narrative. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, la, 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 la. Oh, no. I had the question. Where'd it go? Uh, take a few. We'll take a couple more. A couple more. Is Crone Gracie a viable title contender now or ever? No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to answer that question. Dude hasn't fought in four years. I guess we'll not see. Based, not based off his last performance. So unless he's evolved a lot, then probably not. Um, I, I Mike Batson Smith. You know, he had to just take a time off. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I used the uh, when you gave me the heck of a morning rains while you're on vacation. I used some of that time to uh, crap talk the Gracies. Um, I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. Uh, someone asked, not a question like this. Just like if Crone Gracie loses. Like, what's, what do you think will happen to him? And I said, just being honest, just being honest, the history of the Gracies uh, in MMA, post hoist, hoist, whatever, Hickson, um, it's pretty, like, it's pretty fleeting. It's like when they once they lose, because, again, remember, these guys have options outside of MMA. They probably make more money doing jujitsu related, straight-up jujitsu related things. They do MMA for the challenge, a decent paycheck, you know, once they get to the UFC or, or whichever, one championship, belt or whatever, you know, you're still making good money. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's, it's, it's just a good different thing to do. It's, you know, you're expanding your portfolio, as it were, your combat sports portfolio. But once things like don't go their way, they tend to just like disappear. I remember, I remember Hollis Gracie fought once in the UFC. He lost to like Joey Beltran and just, and then he did fight in MMA again, but he was one and done in the UFC and got out of there. Uh, I want to say Hodger Gracie, I guess you could consider him a success. He went out with a win. He went out with like a one championship title win, but it just never felt like he was. That was a money thing. Yeah, they just. Right. It never felt like he was there to stay. I, I don't know. This is only his third UFC fight, guys. His third UFC fight, like his ninth MMA fight. So, yeah, listen, it'd be cool. Uh, his seventh U- U- uh, MMA fight, excuse me. So, yeah, it's cool to imagine someone, one of these Gracies finally carrying on that legacy and winning a UFC title, you know, for the first time since like UFC 6 or whatever. Um, but I'm not convinced. Crone Gracie, prove me wrong, sir. Prove me wrong. Dominate Charles Rodin, my countryman Charles Rodin on Saturday and go on a run. But if I had to guess, uh, I, I, this man will never fight for a UFC title. I mean, that's, I mean, that is he going to be, how about, is he a top, would he ever be a top 10? No. UFC title is asking a lot, but no. top 10. If it's he featherweights, loses, man. Featherweight's tough. It's a hard <laughs> division, man. It's a hard division. It's a very man. hard division. It's a lot of work to do. Let me pull up this featherweight rank. Well, you know what? It, All right. Go it, for it. Go for it. Jose. If, if Crone, if, if he rolls through Jordan, I mean, it'll be, it'll be fun to talk about. I think he's a he's an interesting conversation for to talk about. Like you just there's a lot of mystery. If he loses tomorrow night, 
yeah, I think we're all gonna be like, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of done in MMA if he loses tomorrow night. I think I think he'll be like he's done with MMA. Yeah, I honestly just be like, yeah, I'm good. I tried it. I tried it. I tried it. I got a win. I got a fight of legend, Cub Swanson. I'm good. Like I'm okay. Uh, last thing. Um. Uh, what did you guys think about Bilal turning heel at the press conference? I loved it. <laughs> if he was always a vocal, listen, listen, everybody. Bilal has always been like this. The problem is when the lights are bright and he has a moment where he can make a difference. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do the thing. He always misses when the mic is in front of him. Always. And that is mostly why he is in the position he is in right now. I I go back to the tweet after he beat Vicente Luque. And I said, do not call out Kamara Usman or Colby Covington. Call out Hamzat Shemaev right now. This is fresh off of the Gilbert Burns fight. Call this man out. With a live microphone. And what does he do? He calls out Colby in a fight he had zero chance of getting. And we're just like, oh, why do you keep doing this? And Aljo's the same way. Aljo's the same way. He should have just picked up the Sean O'Malley bag and ran with it. And he didn't do it. And now he's got to fight Henry Cejudo instead of fighting Sean O'Malley. That's the problem with Bilal. I think he's getting better and more opportunistic now since the win over Sean Brady. He almost... He almost didn't call out Shemaev after he beat Sean Brady. He had a correct course correct, still didn't say Shemaev's name, but we knew at least the direction he was going. The whole thing with Colby and the interview I did with him and Colby shouting out and co- sort of threatening John Anik and all that, Bilal picked up that ball and he ran with it. He did interviews with everybody, clipped off. Bilal was getting over a little bit. People were like, oh, I would like to see him fight Colby now. So kind of in a better spot. I actually liked the heel turn yesterday. I thought it was pretty good. I thought some of the lines about the the Jersey people were hilarious. Ah, now I see why the the Nets left here to go to Brooklyn's because you all suck. Like I thought it was hilarious. Nah, she's boring. Was hilarious. You think Cheap it's boring? Pop. Cheap pop. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I'm okay oh, with that. <laughs> Cheap pops work in this sport. Sport, um, man, but but Mike, you you really put that much weight in to the 30 seconds they get in the mic afterward. Yeah, rather than, I do. I, no, I, I just think that's really, and I, I'm not saying you're wrong or anything, or I'm not even disagreeing. I just, I just think it's such a, I guess I, 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 I'm still in denial about the whole, this whole, the Conor McGregor era where like, it doesn't even matter what you do in the, in the actual fight. It just matters what you say on that mic afterwards. Conor McGregor era, Channel Sun got that going. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that yeah. kind of like, it doesn't, because actually Channel Sun is kind of a great example. Bo- boring wrestler. I know, I know he's had exciting fights, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but boring wrestler, but what made him famous was what he said on the mic. And, Chael um, Sonnen. Chael Sonnen is a top five prize fighter in MMA. Oh, yeah, Probably 100%. in terms of skill to prize fighting, there is not a bigger gap than Chael Sonnen. Kimbo, <laughs> Kimbo, Kim, Kimbo's yeah, it's good. Kimbo, <laughs> that's, that's Ben Askren, but like, like I, I, I went back like t- speaking like now we're gonna go on a Chael tangent. Like I looked <laughs> at his like resume from like the first Anderson Silva fight to present. Literally only fights former champions. Like he's, you'd have to go back to his I think Dan Miller fight to fight to find the last non-former UFC strike force WC Bellator champion on his on his resume. That dude talks himself into 
Like he had two careers before and after fighting Yushin Okami. I'm not even saying that you have to be like chael and call people out when you have the mic in front of you. Like you have like Benil Dariush is another great example of this. Goes out and beats Matush Gamrod in a fight he probably shouldn't even had to, to have taken, right? Should have put him in prime position to go fight the winner of Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira. I know Volkanovsky was in the crowd, but what does Benil Dariush do? And I'm not saying Benil Dariush should be like, hey, Islam, MFR, you stole everything I work for. I'm going to fight your ass. No, just be like, hey, Habib is always a man of his word, Islam. You said before this fight, if I beat this guy, you're going to fight me for the title next. So if you win the belt, I'm ready. Like, just do that. But what did Benil Dariush do? First, he kind of recited a weird promo at the beginning. And then he said, I don't care. I'll fight 10 more guys before I fight for the title. I'm just like, what are you doing, dude? That was the worst thing to ever say. I will, I'll give you that one. That, that was, was bad, bad man. I'll, I'll give like, you that one. You don't have to. You don't have to sit there and like be. You don't have to be Connor or Nate or. But mm-hmm. just be like, hey, Hamzad, that fight with Gilbert Burns was awesome, dude. Like, let's go. And it's another thing with Bilal too. Is like he would miss the call out, but then when he would do all the interviews, he would do afterwards. Then he would call out Hamzad, but. He didn't do it when it mattered. And that was the thing. And that's kind of why he ended up fighting Sean Brady. And I knew that was going to happen because on on to the next one, I'm like, he's going to fight Sean Brady next. Guarantee he's not going to get any of those fights. Not going to get Colby. He's not going to use because the UFC takes those clips and uses them for promotional material. So what are you going to do with Benil Dariush? Hey, here's how this fight came to be. Oh, I'll fight 10 more people. You can't use that in promotional material. You just got to, that stuff matters. It's not everything. You still have to win fights, but when you're in positions where it's very close and there's multiple contenders, you have to find a way to separate yourself and solidify yourself as that top contender. And you got to do it on the mic. You have to do all things. Like we can't be all things, but if you could do a little something on the mic and fight your ass off, that's a very good thing. And I think Bilal is is starting to realize that. And we'll see. If he beats Gilbert Burns, like it is what it is, but he shouldn't even have to take this fight. Shouldn't have had to fight Sean Brady. But that's how you inch it. And one thing Chael Sonnen gave to the sport is he this is the best advice ever. The next fight starts when the last fight ends. You have to already like have a name in mind. You have to be ready to plant the seeds. If you are a high level prize fighter, that is hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. If you are, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I'm an, I personally, and I'm not saying anyone is wrong because you're all very right. I like. Benil Darius's approach to it. I really do. Like when he did media day, people are like, why'd you take this fight? He's like, I just really like fist fighting and I like money and that's what I get paid to do. I'm like, fair play, sir. So I don't, oh, I, I get like that. It. I like, I and, get then, that. Cal- and then Kalen was like, I didn't know I could say no to fights. So I just take fights. I was like, I love it. I get, so I, I get like that. It. I get that part of it. Right. Cause Max Holloway did not do a lot of talking. He just kept murking fools. And then he got a title shot and he got popular. So I, me, I personally like that. Don't talk yourself into the money fight. Just become the money fight by winning. But that's me. But I get it. I get this yeah. dance. Yeah. Yeah. And Max what, Holloway, did Max, what did Max super- Holloway do after the Calvin Cater win? What did he do? He said, I don't even care about the Volkanovsky fight. I'll fight Habib. I'll fight him. I just want yeah. the biggest challenge. And he, even after he, this last win, he was already had in mind. That fight was set up. Yeah. I'll fight yeah. Habib. If Habib comes back, I should be in the mix for that fight. Not any of these other guys. I should be that guy. Like, you just got to do something. Put yourself out there. Get a headline. That's it. You don't have to be fancy about it. This used to be Aljo's situation. 
Remember, he was the guy that never got the shot, you know? He just, yeah, yeah, yeah. what a wild world. It's an important part of the game. It's it's weird. And, and now they have, the, the producers ask these guys. They ask them. And even in like the backstage interviews, like, oh, what do you want next? Ah, I don't care. And then they'll like, they'll poke and prod and be like, nobody, nobody on the roster. There's not one name on the roster that you want to fight. And then like, well, you know what? I kind of want to fight this guy. Like, that's the thing. They want you to do that. They're telling you. They're asking you, who do you want to fight next? Call somebody out. That's what they do. That's what the sport is kind of yeah. at right now. It's sports they can and tell entertainment. Kick rocks. As Dominic Cruz says, <laughs> I'm <laughs> as as Dominic Cruz says, I'm tired and I can't think about fighting right now. <laughs> yeah. And then he calls out the monster energy drink guy. Like Hans <laughs> Hans Mullen can. Hey, so at least he still called somebody out. But that was real. That was real. But then yeah. but then we talk about how silly that was. But then everyone on the editorial team was like, Did you see the numbers that this freaking comment did? And then they go, Jose, ask Dana White about monster energy drink. I'm like, for what reason? And they're like, Oh, because it did a lot of traffic. I'm like, kick rocks, bro. Like, what yeah. are we talking about? <laughs> but that's but that's a separate thing, though. Those numbers aren't like help us. They don't help a fighter. Of course, we're going to want to boost that sort exactly. of stuff, but those don't, those don't help the fighter. They don't do anything for the fighter. Got people talking. It's a whole yeah. different thing. Yeah. You can ask about Kyle Dacus. That's true. He's doing <laughs> much better. Or ask about uh, what what great what what chair would you slam someone's... What was the, the smoke question? Oh. <laughs> they got him on all the... <laughs> all right. Uh, do, do you... Um, I didn't think that press conference was that controversial. Like everyone was freaking out about Dana White freaking out. I'm like, it's just Dana White, bro. I don't really care. Yeah, Let him do his thing. I'm gonna go to sleep and wake up the same way. <laughs> um, we good? The only fight that matters is the early prelim main event. Paca Porta, let's go. <laughs> They just want to. just wanted to hear you say it, Mike. They just wanted to hear you say it, Mike. Acapulco, John Jones, yeah. two. The road is on. Let's it's go. Happening. That's Let's the other go. fight. He's set he up right there. Parker Porter. Oh my god! If he wins and he calls out John Jones, uh huh. Everyone, there's a story watch. there. There's a. You can go watch our video of the welcome to the country ceremony in Perth, Australia. That I shot. You can see Parker Porter attempt an indigenous dance with Alex Volkanovsky and the rest of the Aussies. A it legend. is fantastic. Okay. He's a legend. Absolute legend. <laughs> we'll see if Paco Porter Braxton Smith is going to rule. That is going to be a fun <laughs> fight. Either, either Braxton's going to knock him out in 45 seconds or Parker's going to ground and pound TKO him in like the second round. It's going to be lovely. It, it, it could actually also be like a super terrible fight, and I'm here for it. A super terrible you, fight? There's it could be a no super way that fight can be terrible because if it's terrible, it's going to be awesome. There's no. It's funny. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, yeah. I don't know because I know you guys all like Parker Porter for some reason. Um, uh, well, yeah. I forgot. For some I reason. I forgot. We love alliteration. Um, <laughs> he has. He is every definition of the word. His fights are so unmemorable, and everyone remembers him just dying in there, like against Justin. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Dawkins. Can you name all of his wins in the UFC? Probably not, but you can name well, how he lost all of them. He puts on that pace, that cardio pace. Yeah, doesn't throw go down, doesn't gas yeah. out. Yeah, Bilal Muhammad has that Parker Porter uh, cardio, right? That's what we're calling it. That's yeah, right. that's what we. That's how we phrased it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's 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 the legend. He's the legend. He all right, Gonzaga once. That's random. That's weird. <laughs> Who hasn't fought sure Gonzaga? 
Uh, That's point. a great question, especially from the New England area. <laughs> yes. uh, I've, I've seen many Parker Porter fights in the regional scene, so it's very, very fun to see him in the UFC. And you'll see him tomorrow against Braxton Smith. What a story that guy is. So thank you very much for watching. We'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show. I believe it's at 5.45 p.m. Eastern time because we lost so many fights, another yeah. fight. We lost another fight on the scales today or one before the scales. And... 12 fights, so the prelim credits 6.30 p.m. Eastern now, so we'll go 5.45. Casey and I to answer all the questions we can get to today and more. And it's going to be a fun time. Boots on the ground. We have the watch party, 9.45 p.m. Eastern tomorrow with me, GC, Mysterious Frank. Uh, Jed's going to watch co-main event, chat GBT bet, and uh, Rob Font. Rob Font will join us for the main event, so that'll be fun. I'm sure he'll be very interested to see what happens with this Aljamain Sterling Henry Cejudo fight, so... Get ready, everybody. Thank you for watching. For AK, for Casey, happy anniversary to him and Esther. For Jose, I am Mike Peck. We'll see you later on, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.